When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Traps are good. Traps hold your head up. They keep your head on your shoulders. Like Kim, you can have a trap. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slade's podcast about internet culture. And today, today I'm going to get a little bit personal. You, you might be thinking, how much more personal can you really get? Y'all already know my fan fiction reading habits, which were a deep, dark secret for a while. And it's true, I have revealed a lot about myself over the past two years. Wow. But something I rarely, if ever, talk about here and kind of in real life is my relationship with my body. That does mean that in today's episode, I'll be talking about dieting and exercise. So if that's something you're not interested in, please feel free to go ahead and skip this one. But back to me and my body. There have been a few episodes in the past where we've sort of brushed up against the topic. There's one of our earliest episodes from April 2021 called Body Positivity is Meaningless. And then we talked again about diet culture in our episode on the infamous Emily Marico salmon bowl, which I still eat like once a week. You can ask my roommate. From those episodes, it might not be that surprising to find out that I historically haven't had the best relationship with my body. I don't really know anyone who grew up in my age bracket who does. And if you do, please sell your secret. I will pay so much money for it. I grew up watching the women around me yo-yo dieting, and I had memorized the respective caloric value and Weight Watchers point value of everything in my house before I hit puberty. My feelings around food were usually some delightful combination of guilt and resentment and like secret joy. And I had and still have some chronic illnesses and pain that meant that I always usually felt like I was on the verge of being betrayed by my body at any given moment. It was the chronic pain specifically in my knees, shout out bad knee gang, that led me to finding a trainer. That and the fact that living at home with my parents during the first year of the pandemic had left me so out of shape that when I came back to New York and had to carry groceries 10 blocks home from the store because I lived in a grocery store desert, I ended up both on the edge of tears and an asthma attack. At that point in my life, I had attempted exercise regimens so many times that I knew the cadence I would go religiously for a month or maybe more. My Virgo moon would chime in, and then life would inevitably happen. A late night at work, a plan with a friend, an IBS flare, and I'd be knocked off my rhythm, and then the guilt would stop me from going back. I paid for a gym membership for two years without setting foot in it for most of those two years. So at this point in 2021, I reasoned that if I had a trainer, someone who I paid a lot of money, that if I 
skip the session, I'd be wasting a not insignificant amount of money. And then maybe the fear of wasting money would keep me (laughs) from losing this exercise regimen. And to my surprise, it worked. But it's not because I haven't skipped sessions, which is what I thought would make it work. I still have late nights at work and I have plans with friends and I have IBS flares and I have vacations. And I also had COVID at one point. My trainer also had COVID at one point. Everybody got COVID at one point. The reason it's worked is because over the past two years, weightlifting my trainer has finally allowed me to develop a relationship with exercise that prioritizes what my body can do and not what it looks like. Don't get me wrong, this is not a self-help podcast. There are more days than not that I look at my body in the mirror and think, no. But what's changed is that that thought doesn't happen in the gym anymore. And I have discovered over the past two years that I'm not the only one. The hashtag weightlifting has over 7 billion views on TikTok. Of the current top four videos, three of them are women. Weightlifting and strength training have had an unprecedented increase in popularity over the past few years, especially among women. And I can't help but think that many of them are just like me, maybe because I'm a narcissist, but maybe because women want to reshape their relationship with their bodies for the better and want to stop giving primacy in their brains to the diet culture we grew up on. But then I see the before and after videos on TikTok, and I wonder if weightlifting isn't just another way to build the body we've been told from birth is the ideal. So I decided to export all of this thought to someone else. I called up Casey Johnston, cultural critic, writer of the newsletter She's a Beast, and author of Lift Off Couch to Barbell to help me answer all of these questions. Why has weightlifting gained so much popularity so quickly? How has it so quickly been subsumed into the internet fitness industrial complex? And what exactly BBLs have to do with any of this? It's a great conversation and I cannot wait for y'all to hear it. being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now.
And we're back with Casey Johnson, a cultural critic and writer of the newsletter, She's a Beast. Hello, Casey. Thank you for joining me. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Same. I'm ready to talk about one of my favorite topics, which I rarely talk about on this show, which is weightlifting. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like so many people do it and like keep it a secret. Like You wouldn't know not because of anything except people are so reticent to talk about it. So I'm excited for this. Yeah, yeah. We'll actually be getting into that a little bit. But before we do, one of the questions I usually ask all my guests is what's their first internet memory? But I want to ask you what your first memory of like the health, wellness, fitness internet space is. Like, I remember downloading the MyFitnessPal app at like 11, (laughs) which in hindsight is not great, but yeah. Oh my God. I mean, a lot of my formative sort of relationship around health and fitness and especially diet stuff was like pre-internet. Probably in college, I remember doing a lot of Googling of I wanted to know what activity would sort of like meet the crossing axes of I'm willing to do it, but it burns the most calories Mm because you could find these pages that would tell you like how many calories X activity burns for like the number of minutes you do it. And there would just be like, like this was before people like made good web pages. So there would just be (laughs) a page with like several hundred types of physical activity and all of the sort of caloric figures for each one. Cross-country skiing, can't do that. Rock climbing, can't do that. <laughs> so I so I would sort of like go through looking at all of these figures, trying to figure out like what seems not that hard, but also is like efficient. And that was kind of how I ended up with running because it seemed like a good balance of burns quite a bit of calories, but you can just kind of like walk out your door and do it. Yeah, very low barrier to entry. Running is one of the, I think, lowest barrier to entry um, activities that also does rank really high in terms of caloric deficit. But it really is wild how much that stuff is just ingrained in our collective brains at this point. Like, for some reason, I just, like, I have these list of activities that I could be doing that burn the most calories that are just kind of somewhere in my hind brain at any given moment. Yes, totally. I mean, like, to be clear, this is not like a framework for exercise that I continue to subscribe to, but it was so dominant in the con. I mean, I think it still is, but it had started to really dominate the conversation or like the framework of how we think about working out, where it was like all about burning calories. The more calories you can burn, the better. The more weight you can lose, the better. And it really set into my brain that that was the thing to fixate on when it came to like, thinking about exercise. Yeah. Before you started weightlifting, what was your relationship with exercise like? And how did it kind of intersect with the internet? I would say it was not good. I mean, it's totally centered around like I wanted to lose weight. Everyone said that losing weight was like not only really something that you would look at your own situation and be like, does this make sense for me? But it was just kind of like, I feel like it still is too. Just like, Everyone should be losing weight all of the time, as much weight as possible. Just like keep throwing yourself at that goal all your life and don't stop. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So that defined my entire relationship with it. Yeah, it's... 
It's really wild to think about. I mean, kind of thinking about going back. Um, in a piece you wrote for The Cut last year, you wrote, one day in 2014, when I was still looking for new ways to wrangle my body, I happened to come across an old viral Reddit post detailing one woman's six months of weightlifting progress. I had an abiding curiosity about what any activity might do to a woman's body, and I had always heard lifting weights makes you bulky. But if anything, her photos showed she was smaller, her butt lifted, her abs slightly more visible, arms more toned. This was so relatable for a few different reasons, like the eternal quest of wrangling the body, that kind of pernicious idea that lifting weights makes you bulky, that's then like directly contravened by most people's actual weightlifting journeys. But tell me what happened after you saw this Reddit post? I don't think I like leapt into action necessarily right away. I did sort of like see it and I was like, huh. And it didn't spur me to action, but it's sort of like seeded into my brain. It began to like undermine everything that I thought that I knew about how exercise worked. And I was just kind of like, what if, what if this is how things could be? And it would be like equally valid to the way that I've always been taught the way that things should be, which is like this sort of the weight loss oriented framework. And it wasn't until the spring of 2014 that I actually kind of sat down. I think I went through the Reddit where that was posted because they had a bunch of like linked resources for sort of beginner programs for lifting weights. But also I found a lot of them were not going to be an easy on-ramp for me who had like zero, zero, zero experience. A lot of the go-to resources were targeted at people who are already strong enough to handle a barbell. So they'd be like, here's how you start with like a plain barbell and like build your strength using the barbell. But I was like, I can't move a barbell. A barbell is 45 pounds. So I had to kind of like cobble together a bunch of things in order to create an on-ramp for myself that let me like kind of start with practicing the body weight version of movements and then moving to dumbbells and then moving to the barbell. So it was a little bit of a process, but like definitely greatly <laughs> enabled by the internet. Like I often think what would have this trying to do this have been like even 15 years ago before we had ample resources for creating and posting video online. Such a huge part of my ability to get into lifting was like being able to look up tutorials on YouTube of like, here's how to do a squat. And like, not only that, but having lots of different people's tutorials that I could cross reference and be like, okay, this makes sense. This person like maybe doesn't know what they're talking about. So we have that. We have like Everyone has a camera now with which they can film themselves trying to do these lifts and be like, that doesn't look right. Let me post this online and ask a bunch of other people if it looks right. And they'll be like, well, this, this, and this. You could try, you know, holding your weight in this way or try squatting to a box instead of like trying to do it just freestanding by yourself until you have the right kind of balance. So I think it's been a real, it's like hard to separate the rise in the popularity of strength training, I think, from the technology that has come about and allowed people to learn about it in this more democratic way versus back in the day, I think you would have just had to like go up to the strongest looking guy in the gym and being <laughs> like, will you, will you help me? <laughs> Which is not something I ever would have done. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I'm not right. that brave. So I guess I'm wondering where you found the resources to kind of cobble together this weight 
lifting program for yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, this was a lot of trawling around both the r slash fitness subreddit and the r slash xx fitness subreddit had wiki or wiki style like pages with lots of linked like books and resources online at the time also it really helped that xx fitness at the time which is like means like fitness for women yeah i guess that i think at that time at the time that i came to it it had taken on a much stronger, pun unintended, <laughs> stronger stance on lifting. Like lifting had become a lot more popular and it was like the foremost recommendation of people on that subreddit in a way that I think it's kind of migrated a bit away from that stance. That Their stance on or the sort of amount of discussion about strength training is not as high as it was back in 2014. It really had a moment on that subreddit that I got kind of swept into in a very good way. And it makes me, I think, some some of us who were around for that time mourn that era of XX Fitness a little bit because now it's like a little bit more diffuse in terms of the kinds of exercise that it encourages, which is there's nothing like really wrong with that except that part of what I talk about and what I feel is ha- was the case then and still is, is that people are so quick to disregard strength training that it, I think it really needs that sort of extra push and and focus in people's minds and like the encouragement to, you know, try it first and like kind of make sure it's not for you before you sort of be like, oh, I don't need I don't need to do anything like that intense. I just like I just need to do a little bit of cardio or a little bit of yoga. It's like everyone can have the relationship that they want or need with exercise. But I think people, as I did, discount it unfairly before they actually give it a shot. Yeah, definitely. So around two years after you saw that Reddit post, you started your advice column, Ask a Swole Woman. So can you tell me a bit about those intervening two years and the kind of inciting incident that led you to starting that column? So I started the column because almost as soon as I started lifting, I couldn't shut up about it. And I was just like (laughs) telling everybody, I was like, you are not going to believe what all like we're all living wrong and everyone I think everyone I knew personally was like you know okay (laughs) (laughs) I was just like filled with uh, I had like the demon in me about lifting weights I just like couldn't stop talking about it yeah um so after a couple of years this was like a thing that people just knew about me that I was like possessed by (laughs) this love of lifting weights and so at the time, Sylvia Killingsworth was the editor of The Hairpin, and I was, like, friendly with her. I think I'd written some stuff for, stuff for the all, stuff for The Hairpin at various times in the last, like, couple of years. And she was like, would you do a strength, uh, like, a column about lifting weights? And I was like, I will, but I don't <laughs> think anyone will ever, ever, ever read it. No one, no one like, wants, like, I, I think I was coming <laughs> off of the last couple of years of, only almost only wanting to talk about this and like receiving the feedback that no one wanted to hear about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's fair. It is kind of, it's like a, a kind of boring talk. It's like no one talks about work, you know, as, as we're saying, no one really talks about working out in general. People don't like lifting weights. Like it's like a huge turnoff conceptually seemingly to a lot of people. So I was like, this is a bad idea, but I will surely, someone will give me space we'll continue to talk about lifting weights. 
So I just started writing it. And people, to my surprise, like liked it at the time. This still happens. But at the time, I would get a lot of people being like, I love your column. I read every single one. I'm never going to lift weights. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but I love reading it. And I was like, okay, that's how well. I feel about our parenting column where I'm like, I don't have children and won't oh, yeah. for a long time, but I'm going to read it. <laughs> yes, I love reading the parenting column as well. So it was like, that was really interesting because it was like, I was doing something apparently that I didn't even intend, which was like, getting people to read about something they had no actual <laughs> interest yeah. in. Mm -hmm. um, and or there was something about it that they were connecting with that was like, not about the literal concept of lifting weights. That is really interesting. And what's also interesting is that your interest into the fitness space also coincided with this shift from cardio to weightlifting. And I really can't wait to discuss that more with you after a short break. And by the way, if you're hearing some cat sounds, we hear them too. Casey's cat is a very vocal third co-host. You should all be so lucky. Hey y'all, hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. We are thrilled to have you here. We normally don't talk that much about weightlifting. Maybe we will from now on. In case you missed it, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays, so make sure you never miss an episode like this past Wednesdays where we had Slate staff writer Natish Pawa on to talk about the nine-year-old named Topher who's taking over TikTok. We also mentioned Elon Musk's latest Twitter disaster and TikTok's favorite food critic. You don't want to miss it. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. And we're back. Like I was saying before the break, your journey from Ask a Swole Woman to She's a Bees kind of directly coincides with this massive shift in the fitness space. According to the National Library of Medicine, weightlifting has enjoyed like an unprecedented increase in participation in recent years, especially among women. And I feel like this is a product of my algorithm, but... I never really see fitness influencers recommending hours of cardio anymore. They're, they've almost exclusively pivoted to some form of strength training, whether it's weightlifting or Pilates or CrossFit. And what do you 
think it was that happened over the last decade-ish to cause this shift? It's tough. I would love to say it's just like because I started writing about it. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's like, you. You did it. <laughs> yes, it's me. But it's got to be a few things. I mean, like, one, that people had to have realized at some point that like the hours of cardio, like like I did at one point, it was like the hours of cardio were not giving them like the relationship that they wanted to have with their bodies and exercise, which was like, I felt that I wanted running to kind of like manage my weight and how I felt about myself in a way that I didn't have to think about it that much. But I got to a point where I felt like I was running more and more and more to the point that I was running like multiple half marathons a year. And I never got to a point where I felt like I could stop obsessing about food and like about working out enough. And later I learned that that was like a literal biological implication of having a disordered relationship with food and and working out that like when you have been basically starving for so long, you get kind of like obsessive about it. It becomes like a drain circling sort of thing. And I think I talked about this maybe in my cut article, but it's like literally mentally it mess- messes with you and keeps you in that in that like vortex of feeling like you can't you can't like step off the tightrope. And then there's also the aspect of through so many years of aggressive dieting, I had lost a lot of my muscle and muscle is like what sort of keeps your metabolism level. It's what allows you to like move around and not feel like it's an incredible chore. So it's like all of these things were sort of compounding on each other. And what I really needed was to build that muscle back. And I needed to do it by, you can't really do it any way other than strength training and eating a lot. So it's almost like, it is really like, I'm not sure how many people are like really literally aware of this, but strength training is the perfect corrective to a society that's been plagued for years by too much dieting and too much cardio. So there's that aspect of it. That's biological. I think there is a stylistic, aesthetic, cultural aspect to it where women who have a look of being like curvier, you know, derived from black culture, Mm -hmm. became, (laughs) became trendier. And one of the most, one of the surest ways to get a big butt that's not surgical is to lift weights, unfortunately. I think that's like an aspect of it that is um, not to be left out of, of the picture. But it was kind of nice that I feel like we did, or at least my experience of it was that there was this kind of groundswell of bodies that you could see on social media that you wouldn't necessarily see in like magazines who were bigger, they were more muscular. And also these women, my impression was that like their relationship with themselves was about what their bodies could do and and less so what they looked like exactly. I mean, like all of us to an extent have a relationship with our bodies that's oriented around what they look like, but it was so refreshing to get into these social media apps and see people for whom that was not their foremost thought about themselves. And it was like, I didn't even realize that you could, that things could be that way. It's like, mm-hmm. we maybe even take that a little bit for granted now if you're, if you're like into strength training, but there was 
a time not that long ago, that that was not ever a way that women were encouraged to think about themselves, I feel like. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I remember kind of being surprised when I started strength training about two years ago. I Everyone tells me my phone isn't listening to me, but the proliferation of like weightlifting and strength training content I got after I started lifting did increase a lot. And I was kind of shocked by how strong that community the word strong is going to come up so many times in this interview, how strong that community felt and how kind of deeply held those values were of like, it's about what your body can do and not necessarily about like how it looks. But one thing I've noticed is that with increased visibility always comes like a proliferation of misinformation. And I'm feel like I'm also kind of daily being flooded with videos and posts telling me to take creatine or like pre-workout uh, or to bulk and cut or to wear gloves while deadlifting or don't because you want your grip strength to increase. And <laughs> I'm curious as to what kind of effect you think this information kind of overload has on the average person who's like, maybe I want to start weightlifting. In a way, it's a symptom of social media, but also it isn't because... If you were to think back to like when fitness content, you would mainly get it from like magazines and like a lifting magazine would always be like 24 moves to like bulk up your arms. And it's like, that's not content for a beginner. It's content for somebody who's like been into lifting for many years. They have their sort of like strength base foundation well laid. They've been working out for so long that they're bored and they need to know about more things to keep themselves entertained. And that kind of content is at the same level as like whether you need to take creatine or not or like what specific kind or like stack of pre-workout that you take. Those are concerns for people who are like really advanced. I think that There's kind of two things going on, which is that a lot of that content is made by people who are very experienced with with fitness, and they don't sort of properly couch it for their audience where they're like, this is not really for beginners. They're just kind of like sharing what's going through their head, I think. But it's not easy to tell as somebody who's not familiar with this space when you're looking at something that's like for the like... 1% of people who have been Mm -hmm. going to the gym for 10 plus years versus what you should be concerned with as somebody whose first day of working out is you want it to be tomorrow, you know? Yeah. And then the other thing is that social media algorithms in particular don't reward foundational beginner basics like they want you posting every day. You You can't just like post the same thing over and over, which is that like if you're starting out lifting you should probably focus on like these few basic movements. You just kind of want to get the basics down first, build some initial strength. Maybe then you can take that in some directions. Then you can worry about pre-workout and creatine and this and that. But like Instagram and TikTok don't reward (laughs) talking about that stuff over and over and over, which is what you would have to do in order to like keep having things to post about. I guess what I'm getting at is... Like, social media is just not a good place to learn about this stuff in a way, again, that is not apparent to people who are kind of new to it. And that's a shame. But it's like, I don't know. I've never really landed on an answer for, like, how to steer people away from it. But, yeah, it's hard. It's, It's like the creators 
who have had a long presence on Instagram and maybe come from a good place and they want to help people. It's like, but the demands of the algorithm are yeah. are crazy. <laughs> they're yeah. they're like so out of step with what most people need and even what a lot a lot of creators like want to be doing. So we end up like kind of contorting ourselves into all of these weird shapes that are ultimately not helpful, but it's still just effective in the microcosm of the algorithm to post something that like sends somebody into a sort of momentary panic where they're like, oh my God, I got to be doing that. Like, thank you for telling me I'm liking this post. I'm saving mm-hmm. it. I'm sending it to all my friends. Like, we didn't know. We didn't know. But it's like, yep. <laughs> you, you shouldn't have known. You, you don't need to be thinking about this. There's no, there's such a like gap between those things still. Yeah, it really is. I mean, that kind of perfectly goes to my next question, which is, a kind of very basic question, but I'm gonna I'm gonna couch it in an anecdote, which is that I've been weightlifting for yeah about two years with my trainer, who I love. Um, shout out to Adrian Alvarez. But I mentioned to him that I was doing this interview, and he told me two things. One of which was that one of his other clients had started with your lift off couch to barbell program wow. before joining him. Great. And then the second was that I should tell you what my personal records are. And I was oh, like, good. I don't know about that. <laughs> Casey's pretty strong. <laughs> and he told me something that kind of stuck with me. He does this all the time where he says things that are very simple, but they kind of just like break something in my like diet addled brain. And he was like, anybody who is like worth their salt in the weightlifting space is not going to weight shame you as in how much you're lifting, not like how much you weigh. And I was really struck by that because I've been doing this for two years now and I've been spending a lot of time kind of thinking and learning and deconstructing these ideas I had about weightlifting and strength. And I still default to this like hyper-competitive, very kind of masculine, shame-filled idea of what it means. And I'm really curious as to how you combat that either like in yourself or in the people who write into you or even to like detractors. I mean, I think maybe the most important thing to keep in mind is like that's a process. It's not going to happen maybe even in many years. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's a, it's like a thought pattern that you may have to keep trying different ways of like correcting it or different self-talk that helps you mitigate it or find find another way around it. But I think also what's been big for me with lifting is sort of seeing the proof in the pudding of like how things work. And it's like, you could not have told me at certain points that certain things would be the right answer to the problem that I was having. I had to sort of like hit rock bottom for myself and then figure it out. One of those things was was the pressure that I did put on myself to an extent for a while to like kind of get as strong as I possibly could. And like, I was always like just very into the process of getting stronger and like trying different things and tinkering with programming. And I just like going into the gym and lifting every day. That's like what has kept me going throughout throughout this whole thing. Now it's been like almost nine years since I started lifting. So it's like, it's real. I just like have love for like the actual activity of it. I think that really matters. But I think just getting to the point where I had really given it all of the resources that I felt like I could. And it was like 
okay, it's not happening for me that I'm like hitting these really big numbers. Even like, this is another thing that's sort of hard to know looking at social media. I would look at really strong women and be like, okay, how long have they been lifting for? Like, how hard do they train or like, what are their resources? And like, that is pretty obscure information. But I think what I realized after a while and after looking at a lot of these cases was that there are a lot of women who are sort of like pretty quickly, they're like very strong. Like they just are, their genetic gifts just like pop out. And then the other category of people is women who have been just doing it for an obscenely long time. So it was kind of just seeing these two groups or I was like, okay, I'm not either of these. I have neither been lifting for an incredibly long time in a very dedicated way. And also if I were God's gift to strength, <laughs> I would know. I like it would yeah, be it yeah. would be happening for me. There's really like a much larger spectrum of everyone's capacity for being strong. And I think because our society is so competitive in its nature, a lot of times when people discover that they're not that they're not like that 1% of the 1%, they get discouraged and they and they give up on it because they're like, well, I'm not going to be like remarkably strong. So what's the point? <laughs> so I've sort of like, in one sense, been resolute in my mediocrity <laughs> of, <laughs> of lifting where I'm like, I'm going to be that person who exists online where I'm, you know, I've been lifting a long time and like now I'm pretty strong, but I'm still not as strong as a lot of people who exist online who have been lifting as long as I have. I'm just here in my mediocrity. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, but to be like, that's a fine relationship to have with lifting where you're like, you're going at your own pace. Sometimes you might make progress. Sometimes you're lifting just to lift. Sometimes you're maybe not lifting. And like, that's all a fine relationship to have with this stuff. It does not have to be about like absolute achievement or being like the strongest person that there is. I mean, it really kind of goes to the ways that social media and algorithms prioritize extremism in a way where it's like either, I mean, it, that's truly just what the before and after is in and of itself is just a way of being like the most extreme way of talking about fitness. And I feel like we're kind of in this really fascinating inflection point in the fitness space where, as you were saying, leading up and through the pandemic, like curves were in, there was the rise of the BBL and then the rise of how to get a BBL body in the gym, which involved a lot of like squats and Romanian deadlifts. But over the past two years, I feel like skinniness has really reasserted itself in a way that I both find deeply triggering and fascinating to look at from a cultural perspective. And I'm wondering, it's kind of a two-part question, which is, do you have any idea of why that shift is happening or any thoughts about why that shift is happening? And how do you think about those shifts as you work and write and create content in the fitness space? Well, I will say I haven't been in this in like a professional sense in for so long that I have experienced the, this, the pendulum swing back to being skinny yet. This will be my first rodeo of getting, yeah. through, <laughs> of getting through like trendy skinniness as somebody who people like – 
look to me for leadership, so yeah. to speak, in the, in like how to think about it. Um, so yeah, I don't really have. I've I've been through skinniness as a trend, as a observer, consumer, but mm-hmm. not as somebody whose like job is to react to it or to observe it and make sense of it. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know that I have answers yet. I mean, like, I imagine if I had to sort of like project it out that I'm just going to be powerless to stop it. (laughs) It's just going to happen. And um, I will be here doing my thing and like trying to protect my peace and saying the same things that I've been saying. But I think part of the issue is that this sort of socialization of what the physical ideal is, is so strong. It's like me as one person, I'm not, I feel almost powerless to like correct it. And I think my, insofar as I have a strategy around it, it's like to just kind of keep saying what I've been saying and say what I've been saying is that like the most relevant part of what I say, I guess, is that I want all of our goal around how we think about our bodies and the way that we are physically in the world is to not be oriented around how we look. I can say that. It's not going to like change anyone's mind just by virtue of saying it. But that, to me, the hope I think would be is that that transcends whether the trend is being thicker, whether the trend is being skinny, and that we're not that that the hope is to like transcend those trends regardless of what the trends are. I don't think in my lifetime we'll get to like post trend of physical appearance, but I think that's part of why the message stays the same. Well, that is all my questions. Thank you so much for joining me. This was a phenomenal conversation. Great. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled we did this. All right, that is the show. I will be back in your feed on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode. Maybe I'll actually tell y'all my PRs. Maybe. Please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, why is everyone weightlifting right now? And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and me, Rachel Hampton, with a special thanks to Sierra Spragley-Ricks, Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online or at the gym. My deadlift PR is 245. My bench is 80, which is I'm working on. And then my squat record is like 135. Wow. That's amazing for, especially for two years in. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger. 
for the ones who get it done.